0: One more quick reminder, if you're here for the chance to win tickets to the Fest, you'll hear the code word with the newscast at the end of the episode. Earth Day is just around the corner, so we've got our attention focused on one of the valley's biggest environmental issues, water. Last summer, the federal government declared the first-ever water shortage on the Colorado River, which is where Las Vegas gets 90% of its water. Lake Mead and Lake Powell are at their lowest-ever levels. Just looking at those bathtub rings is enough to give any desert dweller anxiety. So, how did we get to this crisis point? And what is our city doing about it? Today on CityCast Las Vegas our lead producer, Sonia Cho Swanson, talks with Daniel Rothberg, environmental reporter at the Nevada Independent. And as Daniel points out, Las Vegas might not be the water-guzzling culprit that we think it is. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas.
1: It's it's really great to have you on because you're based in Reno, but you cover the whole state. And I know you've been thinking a lot about what's going on in the Colorado River Basin. I read your recent article in the Indy, and it just had this fantastic lead. I loved it. So I'll just quote you here. It comes down to a math problem gone wrong. Tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, so like a lot of watersheds across the West and rivers And even aquifers, the basic issue that's playing out in a lot of places is that there's less water to go around than there are rights to water or demand for water. And that's exactly fundamentally at a high level what's going on on the Colorado River, where you have legal allocations among seven U.S. states and Mexico and more than two dozen Native American tribes for about 18 million acre feet of water, which is a large amount of water, an acre foot is about is the amount of water that can fill one acre of land to about to to a depth of one foot. So if you imagine multiplying that by 18 million, it's a ton of water. But in the last 20 years during the drought, in many years we've only seen the flow of the Colorado River be at about. 11 million acre-feet, and that drought, that prolonged period of drought, caused in part and perhaps in large part by climate change, is driving this imbalance on the river. So you have a continued amount of demand, and you have a small supply that is expected to continue at that level because of the way that the climate is changing and precipitation and runoff into the river are changing. Mm
1: -hmm. And last year, the federal government actually stepped in, right? Last summer.
2: Yeah, last summer, the the federal government stepped in in, you know, what what water users had been preparing for for quite some time now. And they declared the first ever official shortage on the river, which triggered cuts to several of the states that rely on the river, including California, Nevada, and Arizona.
1: We have this really stark visual marker in Lake Mead, right? Those bathtub rings. Right. Yeah. I remember so I moved my family and I moved to Las Vegas a little over 20 years ago and back then we were just starting to have the conversation about uh-oh, Lake Mead is dropping, but it's so much starker now. It's just so apparent.
2: Yeah, if you go out to the Hoover Dam, if you if you take a look at Lake Mead, it's, you know, the first thing that you probably will notice is the bathtub ring because it's such a kind of unnatural feature. Of the lake to see all of this exposed rock, which shows how far the water has dropped in in just the last twenty years.
1: And Lake Powell just last month hit a critical number. So I I was reading that it was about thirty five hundred feet, and that I guess has an impact on the power generation at Glen Canyon Dam. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So Lake Mead and Lake Powell are obviously separated by miles and miles of the Colorado River by the Grand Canyon, but they work sort of in tandem. And we we see Lake Powell uh, as Nevadans when, when we go down to Hoover Dam or Lake Mead, but the water that's coming in to Lake Mead is coming upstream. And Lake Powell has dropped so low that it is really operating in uncharted territory, where as the reservoir continues to drop, you're seeing potential issues with generating hydropower, which is sent uh, across the western grid. But the two reservoirs, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, the, these big sort of storage accounts, they operate together in tandem. And water from Lake Powell is released released into Lake Mead every year.
1: I think that's a really interesting point that, that they work in tandem because I think of Lake Powell is being in Arizona. Like, why should we care what happens right. in Arizona? Like, Lake Mead is our lake, right?
2: Right. It's really interesting because I think there is that kind of reaction to, to hearing about it. Like, Lake Mead, yeah, Lake Mead is our lake. It stores water for Arizona, Nevada, California, Mexico. And the most important thing is to keep water in Lake Mead. That's our storage account. That's our bank account for, for this huge population in the Southwest. But but the reality is that all of these reservoirs in the Colorado River store water in the system, and that water eventually makes its way down through the entire system, and so what happens in Lake Powell, of course, affects what what happens in Lake Mead, and so I think with Lake Powell dropping, it sort of reinforced the you know shared fate that everybody has in the colorado river you know whether the water is stored in lake powell and lake mead there is less water in the system to work
1: with i i love that a bank account analogy because what i'm hearing is we've got this shared bank account which is how many states again
2: seven us states from so, okay. wyoming down to arizona
1: and then also not to mention mexico right so we've got this yeah. shared bank account of water And we're all kind of like drawing from the bank and trying to say, okay, well, I get this much per year. You get that much per year. And when it comes down to it, we still all have to make sure that we don't overdraw from the bank.
2: Totally. Yeah. It's sort of like a a big extended family. (laughs) The Southwest has a bank account and we've been collectively as a region using more than we're putting into the the account for almost two decades now and the account is pretty depleted at this point.
1: So we're a family with a shopping problem basically. It sounds like I don't
2: want to I don't want to trivialize it too much because this water it's really important to remember and and why it's so challenging to to conserve is that this water is being put to use, whether that's for agriculture or whether that's for cities, drinking water, and these are you know pretty essential uses that are tied to businesses and livelihoods and you know just everyday use. So, but I, I do think it's fair to say that that we we are a family with a problem.
1: Um, so we have a problem. We have an issue, and the last twenty or so years, the issue has been getting worse. Can we point to climate change as part of the problem?
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's there's no question that that climate change is a huge is a huge factor in what's driven this this drought. I think there have been mo- multiple scientific studies, both focused on the southwest and on the Colorado River Basin in particular, looking at how climate change has affected the amount of snow that's falling in the Colorado River Basin and how that snow is running off into rivers and basically have concluded that climate change has made the supply in the Colorado River system um, far below the average that we've seen over the past century in just the, the past two decades. The states have done a lot. Nevada, California, and Arizona have done a lot to try to curb demand to, to to try to fix that issue. And if you look at Nevada over the past 20 years, the Southern Nevada Water Authority has managed to live within its allocation, its legal allocation to Colorado River water, which is pretty significant. But collectively as a as a basin as a whole, you know, demand still far exceeds what the best climate research tells us is going to be the amount of water coming into the system or mm-hmm. the amount of money deposited into the bank every <laughs> year uh, as the climate continues to change.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that Nevada has been doing a pretty good job, Southern Nevada in particular, mm-hmm. because I am personally guilty of this, but I love to complain about what a water guzzling city we are here in Las Vegas we talk about the golf yeah. courses and I mean, I don't complain <laughs> about the Bellagio fountains because I love them, but I know a lot of people do. Do you ever watch that show Hacks, by the way? I do. I mean, I don't know how reflective it is of actual Las Vegas, but like the fact that they have a whole subplot with that whole like water district guy coming in to audit her, the main character. Yeah. yeah it's kind of a trope that we have water problems. I mean, totally. Are we... It's easy to hate.
2: It's an, it's an easy take for people.
1: So are we doing enough? What, what's your take?
2: So my take is that there's way more than meets the eye. Okay. You know, I think that's true in almost every watershed, um, but it's especially true in Las Vegas. You know, it's easy to look around and say, this is a desert, there's a water problem. But the fact is, and this it would not have been true, you know, 20 years ago, but over the past two decades, Las Vegas really has become one of the most water secure cities in the Colorado River Basin, specifically in the Southwest. And before everyone, you know, accuses me of um, (laughs) being like a Chamber of Commerce rep over here, I can kind of explain why I think that. Okay, Las Vegas went from, you know, not living always within its Colorado River allocation Mm -hmm. to not using its entire Colorado River allocation. And the way that that southern nevada has done that is by recycling and reusing its indoor water use so almost pretty much all the water you use inside is recycled and goes back to lake mead so the the significant water water use is in outdoor irrigation and the southern nevada water authority has taken some very proactive steps in incentivizing the conversion of uh turf, and now with a new state law, eventually converting all of the existing ornamental turf, or what they call uh, decorative turf in the valley, lawns that are not used for any purpose except for kind of aesthetics. And so on the one hand, those aggressive measures to conserve use and drive down the per capita daily use have been really effective in allowing Southern Nevada to live within its Colorado River allocation. At the same time, why I say that Southern Nevada is really water secure is because the Water Authority has made this really huge infrastructure investment in Lake Mead Hmm. that allows Las Vegas to take water out of Lake Mead as the reservoir continues to drop. And that's a huge, big deal because no other state in the lower Colorado River Basin other than... Nevada is able to take water out of Lake Mead if the lake drops so low that water can't physically pass the Hoover Dam. So that's really significant.
1: So who are the biggest water consumers then along the Colorado River Basin? Like, who can we point fingers at?
2: (laughs) Well, I hesitate to point fingers at anyone. Nevada uses a really small amount of the Colorado River. Our allocation, our legal entitlement to the Colorado River is 300,000 acre feet. I think I said earlier that all the legal entitlements together come out to something like 18 million acre feet. So if you think of 300,000 in the context of 18 yeah, million,
1: it's, that's tiny. it's really
2: small. It gets really complicated to to point a finger because there's just a lot of different governance structures that that inform how the water is used and how it's historically been been used. I know for a fact that the majority of the Colorado River is used for agriculture. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, 70, 80, but it's somewhere, I think, in that range.
1: So the majority of Colorado River water goes to agriculture. But Las Vegas, maybe part of the reason why our numbers are so low in terms of per capita consumption is because Mm -hmm. we don't really have, you know, as you pointed out before, we don't really have farms. Totally. And we depend on the agriculture. from California and Arizona. So I don't know if our our, our numbers are really really a fair reflection of how much water we actually use when you think about the lettuce and carrots and tomatoes that come in that were fed by the Colorado River in other states.
2: Absolutely. And it's a great connection to make because people don't always make that connection. It's very, when we talk about the Colorado River, things are very siloed off oftentimes. But but you're absolutely right. And we are able to live within our allocation and use such a small amount of water, in part because most of that water is for municipal use. In California and Arizona, which have much larger entitlements to Colorado River water than than Nevada does. There is a wide variety of water users, municipal, agricultural, and agriculture does require more more water in many cases than A housing development. But as you said, the importance of it can't be understated that that agriculture is being used to feed people. And we interact with it in our daily lives, whether we're consciously thinking about where that water is coming from or not. And you're right that, you know, it's easy to look at a per capita daily Use in a city, but not think about the agriculture that we're consuming and the amount of water that goes in, into producing that. And that is also, you know, playing out in different parts of the Colorado River.
1: So it sounds like rather than being the sin city of water use, we're kind of a city <laughs> on a hill. Am I am I wrong here?
2: <laughs> I, I think that there are there are definitely areas for improvement. Las Vegas stands out in the southwest for its conservation i'm saying that based off interviews that i've done with water users in other parts of the west and the southwest las vegas also has a lot of advantages that other water users don't have structurally again the southern nevada water authority is is a municipal water provider that controls most of the colorado river allocation to nevada Whereas in other states, Colorado River allocation is split among a lot of different water users. So so it's a lot easier for, for Southern Nevada to sort of control its Colorado River apportionment than it might be in a state like Arizona or California where it's split among a lot of different people. I, I think that the issue, and I was talking to someone about this today, I think if there's an issue, it's, it's much farther out. Not much farther, but it's farther out into the future than it might be for, for another state because of these sort of measures that the Southern Nevada Water Authority has taken over the past, you know, two decades. Hmm. I think that's that's an interesting and kind of complicated part of telling this story as a journalist, which is, you know, Southern Nevada has taken all these steps to conserve water, to use less, um, and, and built infrastructure to put... Las Vegas in a situation where it's fairly water secure compared to a lot of other places in the Colorado River basin but at the same time regionally the situation is is very dire because of climate change and because of continued demand and Nevada is one of the active participants in the in ongoing negotiations right now on how the the river will be used and allocated moving forward. And it's really important, even though Southern Nevada has done all these things locally to conserve water, it's important that Southern Nevada water authorities at the table regionally to discuss sort of the allocation and use of the river moving forward because at the end of the day, Las Vegas is dependent gets about 90% of its water from the Colorado River.
1: Well, that kind of brings me to the last question I have, which is about the far, far, far future. As we were preparing for this episode, our newsletter editor, Scott, and our producer, Leila, and I were talking about the dystopian fiction that we've read and loved. Scott mentioned this book called The Water Knife, and I mentioned a book um, by Octavia Butler called Parable of the Sower, and its they're both set in these dystopian futures where water is a resource that is more precious than gold and there are wars and battles fought over water is that a future that you see coming to Las Vegas do people ask you whether or not they should stay in Las Vegas because of a, a looming dystopian water crisis
2: um yes people do <laughs> ask and email me about that water scarcity has always been a feature of this region i guess and it is you know why we have the environment we have it's why we have and it it it's informed the choices that people have have had to make good or good or bad one thing we didn't really talk about is as there is this conversation going on on the Colorado River about preparing and for a smaller river and and planning for what a future will look like under climate change there's also a discussion that's been going on now for years about correcting some of the historic injustices on the river. Hmm. Tribes have a right to 20 about 20% of the Colorado River, yet they've been excluded from a lot of these talks and negotiations mm-hmm. in the past. So when when I talk about a little bit about how we manage for scarcity in a way that coheres with our values as a society, those are some of the questions that Water managers, states, the federal government in particular, are are grappling with and thinking about moving forward. Hmm. I don't know if I answered your question at all. But, well, <laughs> but I,
1: I think it sounds like yeah. you have hope.
2: I do. I think I I don't really look at my reporting necessarily as hope or not. I, I I try to really focus on the facts and what's going on on the ground. And I think Las Vegas can be a model. city on a hill, I don't know. I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna give I don't wanna give them too much credit, but I, I think there are things that are going on in, in cities that are really innovative and, and it does give me hope. You know what? I'll say it. It gives me hope. Nice. Sometimes like when I'm in other places too, unnamed places in other parts of the Colorado <laughs> River basin, and I see a bunch of lawns, front lawns and or decorative turf that is purely ornamental mm-hmm. is not used by anybody
1: mm-hmm.
2: i think wow there there's still a lot of room for conservation in this system there's still a lot of room to make the system more efficient and more equitable without interfering too much with daily life and and livelihoods
1: well thank you for that note of hope. We could all use it going forward. And happy almost Earth Day, Daniel.
2: Thank you. Thank you. You too.
0: Great conversation, Sonia. And thanks to the Nevada Independent for lending us, Daniel. And now for a little news from around the city. What you got, Scott? Thanks, David. We've all noticed junky old cars with license plates saying classic vehicle or classic rod. The state says that's been used as a loophole to allow older cars to avoid smog checks and emissions repairs. So a new law will be closing that loophole at the end of the year. If you own a classic rod, you'll be pretty limited in how much you can drive it without fixing it up. Good for the air quality, but critics say maybe not so good for low-income communities. And here's an interesting wrinkle in the affordable housing conversation. A new poll suggests that a majority of Nevadans actually support rent control policies or other measures to curb rent hikes. And that support crosses political lines with most liberals and just over half of the state's conservatives in favor of it.
1: And now the moment you've been waiting for. The code to win tickets for the Wave Inn Festival is WATER. W-A-T-E-R. Head over to lasvegas.citycast.fm to enter, and you've got until Friday.
0: And that's a wrap on the week here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and then our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our host is me, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose. If you learned something in today's episode, share it with a friend. You can also head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts to give us some stars and leave us a review. For more, subscribe to our daily morning newsletter. We'll be back Tuesday morning with even more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, y'all. Earth Day is... Earth Day is, Earth is just a hard word for me and there's no sub 2 for Earth.